Hey everyone, uh, I'm Scott Henderson. I'm Chief Connector at Sandbox ATL. We're the collaboration platform for TechSquare. We create connections that fuel commerce. Uh, how many people uh, work or live here at TechSquare on a daily basis? Awesome. Who's visiting for the day? Fabulous. More visitors than residents, which is always great to have people coming in. Um, you are uh, probably wondering what is going on, and you probably you've probably seen Sandbox around TechSquare on various screens and the various plazas, creating various spectacles and generally bringing kind of a quirky, smart, fun attitude to TechSquare. Our most visible work comes through our 1,200-person member network uh, and the collaborative workspace that you're in right now, AKA the garage. Um, you can learn more all about us about at sandboxatl.com if you would you like. But the basic idea is we're trying to create uh, connections because there's so much awesomeness here uh, in TechSquare. And if we just create connections between people who don't normally connect, uh, we believe that that's gonna help in inform, inspire, and lead to some uh, amazing breakthroughs. So uh, today's show and tell is definitely that. Uh, I'm excited about today's event. This is our third show and tell. Uh, we certainly see some familiar faces from previous ones. We did one on uh, augmented reality and virtual reality, and then we did one on smart cities and internet of things. And today it's built tech. Um, you know, built tech is an emerging uh, concept that's uh, build, uh, bringing together a $217 trillion sector all these technologies that shape the future of planning, design, construction, and management of buildings, infrastructure, and cities. Um, in fact, today is the first day of an entire week of programs that are dedicated towards Built Tech. Built Tech Week is happening here at Tech Square, Georgia Tech, as well as uh, downtown as part of the Supernova South and a couple other events happening across the city. So very excited to help kick off Built Tech Week, and we'll talk a little bit more about what else is going on at the end of the program. So. For those of you here in person, um, you've definitely had a chance to walk around the science fair style showcase floor. We have, I think, eight different exhibitors. Uh, one showed up on the fly. We made it happen, so we're excited for that flexibility. Uh, and it's a good chance to see what other teams are doing uh, based on raw experimentation to highly refined experimentation and deployment. Um, so thank you for everyone who uh, has come today to share their experiments here on the floor, uh, especially ThyssenKrupp, uh, Imbibe, Flourish Technologies, Pontivo, uh, Quest Renewables, Construe, Shadow Ventures, 3D Printer Technology, and did I miss any? Oh, Cognosus uh, as well. So excited. Uh, Cognosus just cl uh, closed a, a, a round of funding, and it certainly it's great to see what they've been doing. Uh, because, uh, Jim uh, was one of our first presenters at the Hump Day Exchange last summer. So over 14 months, they, they've come very, very far. So uh, thank you also to uh, one of our other exhibitors, Georgia Centers for Innovation. Uh, I'll talk about them in about a second. But... Um, I think that covers all of our tables. Let's give a little bit of a love. How about a lot of love to our friend James at Doggy Dog ATL who brought it locally sourced Tasty First to Enjoy. A little round of applause for the bratwurst and veggie dogs. If, um, I mean, who wants to build anything if your belly is empty? So thank you for filling the belly over here. And uh, next time you're in Decatur, stop by his brick and mortar store, The Dog House, uh, right across from the Kimball House. So all of this uh, Connected Awesomeness is made possible by uh, our good partners and friends uh, at Honeywell and Georgia Centers of Innovation. Uh, thank you for your leadership and sponsorship as the uh, presenting sponsors of the Show and Tell series and for your strategic partnership with Sandbox ATL. I'd like to welcome uh, Steve Justice from the Georgia Center for Innovation of Innovation up here to say hello and uh, welcome you uh, on a, uh, behalf of his institution. Thank you, Steve. Well, thank you for being here today. We're very excited to be a sponsor of this event. You can't be in Midtown Atlanta and not understand how important construction and build tech is. I'm reminded of uh, 
what a comedian said one time is that Atlanta must be a bird sanctuary because I see lots of cranes here all the time. So that's one of the big things that we're celebrating here. And the Centers of Innovation, our goal is to work with companies throughout the state of Georgia to help them connect, compete, and grow in the global marketplace. So we have six Centers of Innovation in aerospace, agribusiness, energy, IT, manufacturing, and logistics. And Glenn Whitley, where are you, Glenn? Wave, wave your hand, there he is, he's back in the back. Glenn Whitley is our director for our IT center and he's sponsoring this event, so thank you Glenn for doing that. Also we have Costas, Sigmoglu, Costas, is with our energy center. So if you have a company that's here in Georgia and you need help to commercialize a new product or service, we wanna help you. We're free, we're with the Department of Economic Development, a program of that, so we can help you and connect you to all the resources across the state to help your business grow. So thanks so much, and very interested in hearing the uh, presentations. Thank you, Steve. Uh, certainly appreciate the support uh, that you give everyone here in the state of Georgia, uh, especially what you, uh, you're giving to us today to make this possible, as well as the, uh, this final show and tell of the season. I'm gonna get up our slides. So um, we've got, um, this is the meat of the matter here. Let's get, let's get going on the fast-forward talks. So uh, these fast-forward talks are brought to you by the Georgia Center for Innovation, Centers for Innovation, uh, excuse me, Center for Innovation for Internet Technology. So thank you, Glenn, for your uh, interactive technology. Thank you for your, um, uh, your support of this. We've been building up the anticipation, and I know you can't wait any longer for this moment. I can just sense the palpable excitement in the room. I'm just making this up. As you guys, are, you guys, uh, are you guys ready for this? Am I making it up? All right, good, good, good. I'm baiting you here. Um, so this is when we ask three experts to each step forward by themselves onto the stage. So one person talking for five minutes, and they're going to boldly predict how these technologies are going to shape our lives in the next five years. So five years from now, we're going to give them a copy of this, and we're going to give them a grade on how well they did and how bold or not bold they were with their predictions. So uh, we've got three to go. So let's get the first guy up here. Bill Wilkins is a Vice President of Customer Innovation for Pointivo, a proud ATDC company. They are a 3D intelligence platform that use, uses computer vision and machine learning to automatically generate digital model, models for CAD, BIM, and VR systems. Prior to his, this role, Bill held a series of leadership positions at Metal Forming, leaving as the COO, CTO. And back in the late 1990s, while attending the US Naval Postgraduate School, he served on an advisory group helping to develop a vision for the Navy in the year 2020. So he's used to prognostication. So now he's now ready to share his fast forward talk and boldly predict the future. So help welcome, welcome Bill to the stage. Bill. Okay, all right, the garage. Definitely see the design here. A lot of great ideas in the garage. So um, I appreciate you guys uh, letting me come up here and talk today. Um, Basically, I was going to come at uh, the, the talk today in terms of the angle of how intelligence platforms can help in the future of smart cities. Uh, it's, it's really kind of an intro, quick, five, ten minutes. We're doing other stuff later this week, great week. We're doing supernova stuff in the afternoon, talking about drones. Then Sheldon and Dan will be talking on Thursday, another longer Built Tech event, so we'd love to have you there to uh, help continue this discussion. Okay. So what is a, an intelligence platform? So there's a couple key things uh, that have to kind of intro and then kind of get to that bold prediction phase. Intelligence platform is using you know, cloud-based uh, application programming interfaces to receive data and to feed data back. 
It also has uh, an elements of using machine learning and computer vision in the process. And in, in, in our types of uh, uh, intelligence platforms, we're creating 3D structure. But you can really extrapolate this to other types of companies that are creating stuff to, to identify inspection conditions, all kinds of intelligence being created in order to do that using these types of techniques. Uh, fast delivery is a big key. Be able to, 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 to crunch on this stuff very quickly is another element. Uh, packaging it up and delivering it downstream, whether it's point clouds or CAD or BIM, be able to give that to the downstream provider to speed up their process. Uh, automate to, to other systems. If you look at really where surveying has gone over time, you look at you know the types of equipment of mapping the world, we're just essentially building maps and establishing property lines. Now it's moved into uh, creating structure in 3D point clouds using lasers and total stations. And now you're using like drones and mobile to create imagery to create 3D structure. It's amazing where it's going. And, and the industry is really ex uh, responding in all types of ways and all types of use cases in order to do that, as you can see here. Whether it's insurance and there's storm chasers going out chasing storms in order to get measurements to provide claim estimations quicker. Whether it's manufacturing trying to essentially uh, create a 3D model so they can go through and do cutouts inside of a panel or go through and pr 3D print. Uh, constructions, there are all kinds of use cases that are out there, including the ones that would help make a better and more sustainable uh, smart city. If you look at uh, this presentation here, you can see up at the top, and it's not quite displaying exactly like I want, but you, you have a concept of a drone that's being programmed to go out and fly around a building to create sets of imagery, okay, 360. And then that's going into a pipeline, creating three-dimensional point clouds from that. And then we're extracting the uh, intelligence in terms of creating the measurements in the 3D point cloud from that and then ultimately creating the dimensions and stuff that you would need to uh, take action on, okay? Here's another one where you're creating uh, digital twins of buildings. So think about a smart city where you have the ability to go to another city and you have an older building that you want to transplant and put into the new city. Well, if you can go through and you can scan this using mobile or drones and create a three-dimensional model that ultimately turns into a BIM model automatically, you can then take those designs, go to the, the smart city and actually rebuild these structures. It's amazing some of the things you can do in that process. And this one, we're able to show that we can take that process from three weeks down to three days and do it at high accuracy levels, 99.8%, okay? These are some of the things that are actually going on. When you can do it automatically, it really opens the gate for a lot of things. The concepts of using and creating content and intelligence where you can create 3D point clouds from imagery and ultimately be able to create uh, VR and AR models. I mean, just think about some of the things you could do there. Create new uh, training models. You can create new immersion scenarios for people in a smart city where they could go through and, and, and do all, all, all kinds of things. The ability of being able to do this is where we're going. The other kinds of intelligence, there's all types of intelligence you can extract. When you use machine learning, it's a human involved for the types of machine learning that we do to create data sets. You know, this, you know, this is carpet, this is not carpet. It's, it, it boils down to that 
level of simplicity, but you're able to train these models to get smarter and do things that human can't, do it a lot better and a lot more efficiently. In this case, where you can go through and, and, and look at a roof as an example and figure out that there's, those are all the AC units or these are all the vents. You could look at you know, a smart city where you can detect, okay, this is a criminal, this is not a criminal. Okay? This is an empty parking lot, this is not an empty parking lot. There's all kind of things you can do where you can train systems to uh, recognize stuff automatically. Scalability, when you, when you have autonomous measuring and, and, and intelligence gathering, you can do it at a large scale. Okay? The, the, the amount of effort to do a lot of these manual processes is huge. I mean, if you look at Pricewater, they've looked at, uh, you know, as far as drones use and replacing um, human skills and tasks now, 47 billion out of 127 will be replaced by using drones. Uh, so it's, it's amazing the potential there. Another thing that can be done is the ability to detect change. You know, whether it's looking, uh, going through and doing a ground survey prior to building a parts, uh, you know, a new city and compare that to design plans to see what the delta is, to looking as the city's being built and comparing that to the, you know, the original designs to see how close you are or how far you are as progress, creating progress heat maps. There's all kind of things you can do there. Clearly a new intelligence space is emerging. All types of drone type companies are popping up in order to create the concept of, you know, Internet of Things and be able to gather uh, information to be able to feed downstream systems. Okay, as you can see here, a lot of service companies that are, are providing from manufacturing level to drones as a service level to providing software that actually control the, the, the drone itself to fly without human intervention. Companies that are creating uh, point clouds and, and so forth, uh, 3D objects are also popping up. Okay, so here's my predictions. Drones will essentially be an integral part of smart cities. Uh, be able to feedback contextual data to users to be able to use this. You know, delivery of groceries to the elderly, to go through and uh, create beehives of, of, of drones that go through and do specialized applications. Drones that actually attach to yourself for, for police and for military to be able to, to search out a, uh, an unsafe area. Uh, the concept of using the Internet of Things and feeding machine learning platforms, they kind of work together. All this data, be able to extract usable data from that. All types of things going on in that area. And then ultimately, the concepts of computer vision creating augmented and virtual reality, where you can use and create models on the fly, like they do where you have smart you know, HUD devices you can go through and do point picking, or, or people can walk around as they go through and take tours and actually see uh, contextual data inside the display. Okay, so there's all kinds of things going on in that area. So my time is up. I appreciate the time for uh, coming out and speaking. Uh, we're over at the table if you'd like to talk more. Thank you. All right, so um, we have uh, a couple minutes for questions. So any questions for, uh, for Bill, just uh, raise your hand and stand up, ask it, and we'll, he'll, we'll repeat it in the mic for you. You wow. You knocked them out. Them answer them all. All right. I don't all think right. we can answer them all. On the back. Come on up, Steve. What do you got? All right. So. Yeah. So how will ground vehicles uh, be fit into this plan with the sky vehicles? That's a good question. Um, I think the uh, 
the autonomous uh, vehicles, it, you know, as far as them driving around, that's the, that's the context of your question, or are you talking more of vehicles where you can launch drones from? Both? Okay. Well, I see, I see a lot of application there. Of, of, I've actually heard of uh, insurance companies, they've gone through and built, you know, like vans where you can automatically launch the drones to go out and do specialized functions. Maybe you're scanning large areas and so forth. Um, as far as the autonomous uh, vehicles, you know, the concepts of being able to create models as you drive around and be able to, to feed that information back and gather it real time to recreate the world as you drive around, uh, you know, and also the, you know, the concepts of making the car smarter and eventually getting to a point where you can take the, you take the uh, just driver assisted types autonomous vehicles to, you know, full autonomous. I see that also playing a big role in there is to be able to, to, to process that information and let the users start experiencing these odd use cases that you may see as this technology adopts and be able to feed that back into making a smarter car as the, as the technology is being adopted. So I see that uh, definitely machine learning, AI, definitely be a big role in both of those. Got time for one more? Any takers? Yes, sir. Have you guys used your, uh, your drone to do a scan of the tech square area? Um, we haven't, have not. Uh, so tip, typically when you go through and fly a drone, one, you got to be a 107 pilot, remote pilot. Two, you got to think about the airport and some of that thing. So sometimes it's a little bit tough to fly in the cities, especially when you're close to an airport. You got to get waivers and stuff like that. But if you're interested in, in uh, pursuing that, just come talk to me, see what we can do. <laughs> awesome. Bill, thank you very much for your talk. Thank you. He'll be uh, at his booth afterwards. So. All right, our, our next, uh, I'll get the next slides up. Uh, we'll put those, all of these slides on to techsquareatl.com uh, when we post the, the audio. So our next uh, fast forward talk is uh, KP Reddy, a founder and partner at the Combine and founder of Shadow Ventures, which just established a $25 million fund focused on built tech companies. He's a globally recognized authority in AEC environments, artificial intelligence, robotics and automation, collaborative communication, mobile applications, and cloud computing. His passion is launching game-changing startups, raising substantial investments, and leading organizations to meaningful acquisition and IPO exits. He's now ready to share his fast-forward talk and boldly predict the future, so help welcome him to the stage. Just talk to the mic. Yeah, stay near okay. the mic. Stay near the mic. And I have it like, what, 15 minutes? Three minutes. You got three minutes. <laughs> All right, thanks everybody. Um, this week's going to be interesting. This, whenever you pull off something and you say, hey, we're going to do Built Tech Week and it's the first year, tell everybody we just don't want to embarrass ourselves, so hopefully we can do it next year as well. So um, looking forward to a week. So Built Tech, a lot of people say, what is it? So I just thought we'd map out like what it is and why we kind of ended up here. Um, it's pretty much everything around you. Uh, one of my last startups, we were doing robotics for apparel manufacturing, and the great thing was What's the addressable market? Everyone. Uh, build tech is very similar. The addressable market is everyone, everything we touch. We're in buildings. Uh, most of us touch some level of real estate and are frustrated with what we have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, so that's what build tech is. It's everything around us in the physical space, uh, infrastructure, smart cities. And the idea of build tech was to put one big umbrella under all of it so that um, when you look at most financial folks, VCs, um, which I guess apparently I'm one now. Um, we're not the brightest. 
So if you don't put a label on something, we don't know how to invest in a category. So if you say built tech, then we say, our LPs call us and say, hey, how much are we exposed to in built tech? And you have to have an answer. Um, so part of it's kind of creating a great category that lumps everything together and makes it interesting. But quick conversation about how I kind of got here. Um, my mom was a computer programmer. My dad was one of the top structural engineers in the world. Uh, mom brought home a, com a compact computer, um, and I started writing code. And I started helping my dad with his structural engineering programs. Um, went to Georgia Tech. Dr. Nelson Baker said, hey, we're going to do this internet thing to put classes in the civil engineering department on the internet. So I started writing HTML and putting classes on the web in about 1992. Uh, so got early exposed to that. And then my first startup uh, started with me and a buddy with credit card cash advances uh, was a web-based construction management tool. Uh, we launched in 1997, and we'd walk into contractors' offices, and they'd say things like, computers, we got one of them. Um, and so we quickly realized we were way too early to market. Uh, I was fortunate enough to run into someone at WorldCom that said, hey, we're actually deploying a bunch of switches for this new internet thing and could really use a tech platform to project manage how we deploy that. So um, when you're limited by a $60,000 total burn rate, you pivot very quickly. Uh, and that's what we did. And that company, we grew from two guys to about 1,200 people and took it public. And uh, it was a wonderful and crazy time. Um, so left that, and some friends of mine were investing in a company called Revit Technology Corp, which be basically became the basis of BIM. Uh, I was too busy being on sabbatical to get my check in in time. Um, so missed that investment opportunity. About two weeks later, Autodesk bought them for about $130 million with about $3 million in revenue, maybe $3 million in revenue. Um, so that was a big win. And then um, sold, started a BIM company, sold that in 2009 um, to a company out on the West Coast. I started spending a lot of time out in, uh, in Northern California uh, and sold it to a blueprinting company uh, that was doing $800 million a year in blueprinting, physical blueprinting. And I was their big tech strategy. Uh, economy continued to tank. Uh, so we became more of a strategic investment versus a, uh, a creative investment. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. And then actually went and start, went and worked for Geary Technologies with Dennis Sheldon over there. So it was commuting to LA a good bit. Um, and it was kind of another glimpse of all the relevant knowledge in our industry sits within architects, engineers, contractors, et cetera. Um, they have all the ideas, they know the problems, they understand uh, the problems, but they, don't, they never have had a vehicle to actually build technology. And Frank Erie was one of the first that said, hey, I'm actually going to build a technology company. Um, and so we see that as a trend when all the knowledge holders and the problem solvers um, are, uh, ha don't have technology backgrounds. Um, we're starting to see the trend now where the firms are actually doing it. Um, left that, took another short sabbatical, ran ATDC for like a second, which is about as much as you can do that, uh, and then started starting companies. Um, our first big win at the Combine was at Thornton Tomasetti, they're one of the top structural engineering firms in the world. Out of 50 internal ideas, we commercialized six last year, so deployed pretty big capital. When, and what you learn is when you have to design the tallest buildings in the world, you're not buying anything off the shelf. You're not buying software off the shelf. You're not doing anything off the shelf. Um, you're actually innovating very quickly. So we've taken a lot of that innovation and turned it into products, and it's, it's been a stellar path. And right behind that, we probably have another 15 industry folks that are doing that. Why does Built Tech matter? There's tons of data. <clears throat> we still don't know what to do with it. Um, 
lots of data, not a lot of informed decisions. Uh, everybody gets together and designs and builds a building like they've never done it before, like it's their first day on the job. Um, and the reality is there's a lot of relevant data to, to make decisions. Tom Scarangello, who's speaking later this week, he's actually concerned that structural engineering will go out of business, that you can literally build an AI engine, load your parameters of what you want to design, and it'll just build it, and structural engineers will be irrelevant. And he's not talking about 10 years, he's talking about in five years. Like, he's worried about it. Um, so we're helping him be, uh, sleep a little bit better at night and saying, well, if that's going to happen, we're going to build it. Lots of stuff. Time is up. Five, Five predictions. So here's what's happening, right? So all the millennials that we like to complain about, the only way they're going to stay in the industry is if there's technology. You now have 40-something-year-olds that are running these companies whose first day on the job, they had a computer and an email address. So they're like, why the hell are we faxing things still? Um, so that's the big generational shift that's happening. And now you're starting to see VC. Our fund is focused on seed. We've seen, you know, $25 million is tiny. We've seen, we're seeing a lot of $100, $200 million, $300 million funds focused in the space on Series A. Um, and I think what's really interesting is this is not an industry that just technologists can show up and do something. You have to be in it. You have to be in the industry. And kind of when we look at our fund, it's for industry, by the industry, to help the industry make a ton of money uh, and not be left out by the technologists. So um, what I continue to see is a lot of services firms transform themselves into technology companies because they know and understand what the real problems are. Um, you know, it's 80% about studying the problem, 20% about the solution, and you can't learn about these problems in a textbook, and you can't learn them overnight, so it's going to be the architects, the engineers, the contractors that will shape our technology in our future, not the VCs, apparently. <laughs> We have time for a, a couple questions. Uh, I, I'll start off with this one. So I, la two weeks ago, I was in a presentation, uh, tail end of a presentation by a guy from Skanksa who was uh, walking other um, folks of the UILI uh, leadership uh, uh, team uh, through what they're doing with artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. using documentation of cell phone video and, and photos for safety. So they had their sa national safety engineer walking through buildings and using the phone, and by the time they got to the, um, uh, the airport after the visit, uh, system had already tagged everything, categorized everything, and was able to then create follow-ups behind that. Um, I'm curious, I mean, that just seemed very fast and ha moving quickly. So is that, is that an example of uh, service companies moving to technology companies? Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, the technology, you know, when I got out of school, I instrumented all the MARTA lines because you're putting in 70 foot of fill and you have to like figure out when it's going to stop settling. It was like $50,000 of equipment to do one location. You can do it with 500 bucks now, right? It's not hard. The tech is really accessible. You don't have to be a really a hardcore coder. Um, so you're seeing IT departments and, you know, the folks, they go to General Assembly and take a class on Ruby this weekend and by Monday they're building an app for their company to, to, to tag and geolocate pictures. So, the, the technology barrier and the cost of technology uh, are so low now that a construction company can actually build its own tech. I kind of call those the Instagram of construction. Like there's okay. a lot of those. Yeah. Other questions? We have time for one more. Anyone? Answered all the questions. Okay. Curious okay. about crowdsourcing opportunities you see with government. Do you think that it's realistic 
So thought, thoughts for crowdsourcing uh, of government data uh, out, out into the world. Um, so I have a lot of architect friends. Uh, you don't create any IP. That's a fallacy. That's made up. Um, this idea that you're like protecting someone and someone's going to knock it off, they can drive by the building and knock it up. And look at Tech Square. We have yet to actually create an interesting building in this market. But a lot of this idea of government getting involved, it doesn't really matter. Thorne Tom City is a great example. They share all their 3D files. They don't care. Their insurance companies have told them, like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Um, that protectionism around data um, has to start with the companies, not the government. If we're going to wait for the government to do anything, good luck with that. Um, but it's really, it's a, it's a sense of thinking about things in, in a much more open way and not being afraid. I mean, there are zero cases of, look, if you're designing a fire station for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and someone's going to knock it off, so what? It's a freaking fire, fire station, like who cares, right? No one's knocking off when a Frank Erie, you know, Bilbao's not being knocked off in Kennesaw, right? I mean, that's not what happens. Um, but it, this protectionism is really around job security and just, uh, you know, unknowns. I think what's interesting is when you look at the millennial generation coming through these firms, they don't understand it. They're like, what? why wouldn't I just give them everything? So it's not government, it's people. People. Awesome. Thank you, KP. All right, thanks. All right, our third and final fast-forward talk is uh, Sandeepa Huja. Uh, is a, she's a founder of building performance analytics firm Pattern R&D. I didn't even ask how to pronounce it, R plus D, but R&D, got it? And brings her experience on working with over 10 university facilities. She is pioneering the integration of energy analysis into the design and construction process. She recently won the Atlanta 30 Under 30 Award for developing a unique methodology to optimize for cost and sustainable buildings. Sustainable buildings. She's now ready to share her fast-forward talk and boldly predict the future. So help welcome her to the stage, Sandeep Ahuja. And she's got a very complicated slide deck. Uh, I'll get it up there for you, which is awesome. I love the minimalism. So, here we go. Uh, just keep going. There you go, full slide. Perfect. Right. Thank you. Thanks all for being here. So, that's the slide deck. That's what it's going to be from now until I'm done talking. So, we can look at it, we can glance at it, and we can be done. But that's, that's the point of what I'm wanting to talk about. I'll start with a little bit about my journey. It's not, it's not very long. I'm still under 30. It's still progressing. I did start as an architect, turned into a sustainability consultant, and I, I still do that. And that's what Pattern R plus D does. We're sustainability consultants. But what I currently am working on with some of my partners is, is a software. It's called Cove Tool, and it's basically supposed to replace what I do as a sustainability consultant because sooner or later somebody will. I want my job to not be doing the same thing over and over, be solving the same, the same questions, answering the same, the same things over and over. I want people to be able to do that themselves so they come to me for, for the more important, the more difficult stuff that we haven't figured out how to code just yet. So when I say artificial intelligence, and that's the wrong slide because that's spelled incorrectly, so look at it, but stop looking at it. We'll go to something different, because I just can't have that up there. There was a correction slide, but either way. So when I talk about artif artificial intelligence, that's, that's a big term. Everybody seems to be using it these days. But 
why do I bring it up? Why do I think it's important? And why do I think it's relevant? A lot of it has to do with the way building industry. I'm an architect as a background. I work a lot with architects, owners, engineers, contractors to make buildings come together. And the way things currently happen is that, all right, let's get in a room, let's talk about what we did in our last project, and let's try to do it a little bit better. And there's no process to this date that I see in the current working industry that, hey, here's the, here's the software that we can help to make a lot of our steps much easier. We learned this in our last project, so we have that much more knowledge, that much more information to move it, to move it, to move it forward, really. And so, for instance, in a, any given project, we're working now currently on a software that if you're trying to make it energy efficient, so have low energy, if you're trying to make sure that it has high daylight, it has a pre-coded set of parameters. You'll enter information about your building, it'll automatically run everything, and it'll output the cheapest way to get to the lowest energy. That's a problem we've been trying to solve from the beginning of time. How do we get something to be cheaper than it was before? And that's, that's what I think the future, the future of architecture will be. And a lot, a lot of people say that architecture is art, and, and yes, it is, but it really is 15% art with 85% of you know, constraints. And it's the idea of being able to figure out these constraints through computation with things like BIM or Grasshopper or Dynamo. There's so much out there right now. And being able to figure out these, this 85%, so as architects, you can go back to doing the art and you don't have to spend your time redoing the same thing over and over. So my prediction is that even though we've been talking about this for a long time, about computation, about artificial intelligence, about having intelligence, that in the next five years we'll actually get there. We'll actually be using computational, computational design and artificial intelligence within architecture to help us come up with solutions, to help us solve problems that we should have been able to solve without, without thinking, thinking loud at all. And well, that's my prediction. Thanks. All right, bonus time. All right, uh, who's got questions? Yeah, first question, front row. <laughs> Can you prove you're not AI? Yeah. I think that I think that's a joke. <laughs> Can't you tell by the slide? We have it. All right. Sir, JP. So for the uh, listening audience at home, uh, the questions kind of started towards the idea that if you're funding your company off of services and trying to develop a product, the, 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 those, the chart, I mean, those graphs will, will cross 
you're going to have to make a decision. What thoughts have you put towards that? So that's, that's actually a really good question, and we spent a long, a long time thinking about this before we even decided to, to launch the software, because that's, that's a tough call. I'm trying to make my job obsolete as it currently stands, and that's exactly what I intend to do, and it's, I think it's necessary, because if I keep thinking about what will happen if my software takes off, then my consulting will go down, which is making all the money right now. But ideally, if we have enough people using it, we're raising the standards of the market. Everybody who can think even this much about sustainability can get it that much without having to hire a really high-paid consultant. And for me, it's the idea of raising, raising the, bottom, the bottom line. And I'm passionate about that. And whether or not the math works right just, just now, I'm, I'm looking to, to do that and, and see what happens. So. Got time for one more question on artificial intelligence? I'm curious, uh, I know we have uh, some folks from Imbibe here with the uh, augmented and, and virtual reality. I'm, I'm curious uh, if, if uh, there's any, how will, uh, how will those technologies play when it comes to artificial intelligence? How will it be fed by uh, virtual reality, 3D, and uh, augmented reality? I think that's a, that's a good question, too, and that's a different side of it. And where you have computation on one end helping you put your design together, helping you make your building more efficient in the early stages, you need these tools to be able to visualize it to make sure that it is, in fact, doing what it's supposed to do. So, so here's a scenario. Imagine you're designing a building and you're trying to understand how to make it cost effective and energy effective. So you run a bunch of options, a bunch of simulations, and it tells you, all right, you need wood stud walls, for instance, a very, very generic building, and you need that particular type of finishing. And if you plug that into with augmented reality, you can start visualizing the effect of your solution immediately. You're not just looking at the impact of your decisions from a cost and energy standpoint. You can start visualizing it too and you know, start designing it that way and it changes the way we put designs together and I think that's, that's quite revolutionary. Awesome, Sandy, thank you very much. Thank you all. I'm gonna leave your slide, uh, slide up. I think it's a great way to finish uh, just leaving that there. Um, all right, so uh, there, like I mentioned, there's a lot of things going on uh, this week, uh, and there's uh, a couple ex exciting stuff happening uh, down at Peachtree Center as well as the Historic Academy of Medicine. So I'm going to uh, have Dennis Sheldon from uh, the Digital Building Laboratories uh, who's come up to talk about something going on Thursday, similar vein. Come on in. I'll get your slide up. Okay, great. Um, I'm Dennis Sheldon. I'm relatively new faculty at Georgia Tech. Um, my background is, as, uh, as KP mentioned, before coming here, first of all, I was at MIT, um, basically my, my entire career, as a, first as a student and then as a faculty member. Um, and then in parallel, I was the co-founder and CTO of a startup that came out of an architecture practice called Gary Technologies. Um, that got sold to Trimble about, uh, which is one of the big kind of geospatial companies about three years ago. And they got this opportunity to come over and take over one of the kind of leading labs in, in this space. Um, 
uh, that's been really kind of setting the trend for technology and the design, the built environment for at least 15 years. So it's great to be here. Um, I'm going to take three minutes to prognosticate or whatever it is um, and to have my predictions. So here are three of them and I'll come back, actually four. So build tech, I think, will be one of the next big disruptive tech categories, prognostication one. Two, the built environment will become one of the platforms for ubiquitous computing. And I think that's a really big kind of point that people need to understand, which will create the context for it being the next big category. Three, Atlanta is going to be one of the leading hubs for built tech. And four, if you come to the symposium that I'm going to talk about, you will find out more and become part of this, um, this trend in Atlanta. So really briefly, um, why build tech, why now? And I think one answer is, you know, as KP alluded to, first of all, there's a huge pent-up demand. It's 200-odd trillion dollars of built infrastructure, you know, 15 trillion, 20 trillion a year. And it is, it has been slow to pick up technology. Um, it's considered kind of a, a dumb old profession. Um, and, you know, in the past, when a new innovation came out like parametric technology or 3D printing, you could go, oh, well, you know, we'll wait 10 years and then... You know, in 10 years, that technology will reach the price point where it can impact um, the built environment. Um, things are happening much faster now, and I think we've, ach we've achieved some sort of Moore's Law where this huge amount of, of value is now accessible to the kind of innovation that's happening, you know, in real time. So a ex great example is drones, right? Drones, what's the first application of drones to the commercial sector, right? Probably movies and construction, right? And that's brand new, that, a, that an emergent technology, we would be the first ones. I think the fact that all of these startups are, are appearing in the built environment sort of lends witness to the fact that, you know, this is becoming a hot, um, a hot, a hot category. And as we said, there's huge amounts of value to arbitrage in this sector that is just waiting to be arbitraged. So that's point number one. The second one is we tend to think about the built environment in terms of design, and then construction, you know, how do we optimize that? And then it's kind of over, right? The buildings go on and people live in them and it kind of loses our focus as design professionals. And the idea that we can now take those digital assets and they become the digital twin of a running operating building and then different stakeholders are getting really interested in the built environment as a way of interacting with the people in the built environment, right? So retail is getting really interested in this, hospitality, factories, all of these major industry sectors are starting to see the built environment as a place where they need to focus because, again, this is the environment where computing will happen, you know, in the next five years. So, again, this isn't just about us design professionals anymore. It's about the leading Fortune 500 companies that need to understand this digital environment now. Um, third thing, why Atlanta? I think there's an incredible amount of resources and an incredible number of industry leaders that are based here. And um, you'll see some of them over the coming week, but they include you know, some of the great innovators. KP mentioned um, you know, Revit. There were people involved with that transaction here. ASHRAE, I was just at the leading energy conference, they're based here. Design Intelligence is one of the thought leaders in the, in the market. And then, of course, of course, Georgia Tech, which again has huge assets in this um, sort of technology-driven innovation for Atlanta. And the great thing about Georgia Tech is it influences 
the city, the built, the built environment in a way that no other university can. We are the living learning laboratory, the playground where this stuff happens, and then it leaps across the, 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 the freeway, and this tech square is sort of the embodiment of that intersection of real estate and technology. So we're really committed to making this happen in Atlanta, and I think what you'll see in the next, over the next week is the beginning of that formation of the built tech community. And you know, we are, a lot of us constituents are very dedicated to, make, to putting Atlanta on the map as one of the leading hubs for this. So that's the, the intro to um, the second half of this week, which is the Digital Building Lab Symposium. Um, this is an event that we've run before me every year that has attracted people from Georgia Tech, but also the international technology and, um, and building communities. And this year, in partnership with, um, with Build Tech and with um, Supernova, we're amping this up by a lot. So we should have, um, I'd say, between 100 and 200 um, people at this event, I hope, we'll see. Um, some of the leading innovators in the space internationally are coming here. Um, we're really excited to have the, the number of kind of leading um, you know, people who are doing new types of, of technology companies, people who are doing different vertical integration plays, all kinds of people are descending on Atlanta for two days to talk about their experiences, this kind of move from services to product, how do we do that, what's the right business model. That's all day Friday, which is all of the different ways that Tech is playing out in traditional and non-traditional companies. Thursday is going to be the workshop where we talk about assembling the, um, the Atlanta AEC Built Tech Hub. We've got some of the leading people, leading figures from Georgia Tech, some of the incubators, a lot of the design and construction professionals will be there for the morning. We'd love anybody who's interested in helping build this community to be part of that on Thursday morning. And then Thursday afternoon, um, we've got another sort of tech showcase like this, presentations of research and, and startups, and then we'll have a kind of a, a big celebration at, uh, starting at six, where you'll see some of these folks and some new ones. So this is an important moment, I think, in building this community. This is the day, the we, you know, the, the year that we're going to kick this thing off, and then this is just the beginning of what of of what I hope will be some really committed effort by the Atlanta and Georgia Tech and technology leadership to to put Atlanta on the map for this um, for this space. And uh, we hope we'll see all of you guys uh, just up the street, about three blocks over and one block up at the. Um, Historic Academy of Medicine. You can't miss it. It's on Peachtree, uh, right across from Publix. Um, so uh, hope to see you all there, and uh, thanks for your time. I love impromptu uh, fast-forward talks. Uh, the guy brought it, so thank you, Dennis. Um, all right, uh, I do have a good, good note. If you still have a little room in your belly, we have 10 bratwurst. So the first 10 people to get in line get seconds from Doggy Dog. Uh, so there it is. Uh, that's the, the, the end of the fast forward talks. Uh, once again, a huge thank you to the Center, Georgia Centers of Innovation uh, for your support, Honeywell as well, and our four fast forward uh, presenters, every exhibitor and you, the audience. So uh, for those joining us online, thank you for checking out the show and tell. Be sure to subscribe to the TechSquare ATL podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you're in town, check out sandboxatl.com calendar to find an opportunity to join us in person for the next show and tell or another sampling of the connected awesomeness we're serving up here at Tech Square through Sandbox ATL. So thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day.